Well, I'd like to welcome everybody to week number two of our four-part series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. The letter of the Philippians is something that Paul wrote to the, com to the community of believers in a city called Philippi about how to live together during times of trouble. And as we saw last week, you can research this in the book of Acts. Hopefully you did your homework I gave you. The book of Acts, chapter 16, it records the roots of this church and Paul's founding of it. And then nearly 10 years later, this is when the book of Philippians is taking place, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome, and he takes the time that he is in prison to write a letter to this church uh, to encourage them that in, uh, during a time of persecution. And I still find that fact amazing. Keep in mind that when Paul wrote this letter, he's writing it from within prison. He's writing it from within prison to people who are out of prison to encourage them. And that's amazing because if I was in prison, I would think people would want to be writing me to encourage me. But he has such a spirit for God that he wants to encourage those people, even though he's in a, a less of a situation, or excuse me, I guess a, a more critical situation than they are. The people of the day, that day, though, they needed that encouragement because they were facing persecution and it was becoming an everyday part of life. The Roman emperors had changed and that Roman emperor was really starting to stamp down on Christianity. So the people of God were really feeling that, that heat coming into their life from that. How many people here can testify that there comes a time when you need encouragement too? Practically every day, right? We need some type of encouragement. Maybe we're not facing the same type of persecution that the Church of Philippi was undergoing. We're, not, we're definitely not like China or Iran where the people there can actually be imprisoned or put to death for being Christians. This letter, though, to the Philippi is God's instruction to us of how to live during those tough times, when persecution comes or just hard time comes or just the irritation of life, this book is for you to be able to know how to exist and flourish during those times. And in our journey through this book, we're going to look at several different things. Last week, we uh, learned how to live as if God was in control when we looked at Philippians chapter 1. This week, we're going to be learning how to live as servants in chapter 2 as we study Jesus' example to us. Next week, we'll be learning how to live a life of loss. In John chapter, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3, Paul will use his life as an example of a life that is laid down for the sake of the gospel. And our final message will be learning to live a life of generous friendship in Philippians chapter 4. And because these messages kind of build on each other, I'm just going to quickly review last week. We talked about, how, about learning how to live as if God is in control. And God is in control, isn't he? Even with all the chaos, even with all the news stories, even with all the papers, even with all the talking heads saying that God isn't in control anymore, he is in control. There's a big difference, though, between saying God is in control and living as if God was in control. It's a difference between what we believe in our theology and how we actually act in life. And if we can bring ourselves to surrender to Christ and believe in the words found in the Bible, 
We can become a community of believers that demonstrates God is in control by the way we live. Last week we broke chapter 1 of, of the book of Philippians into three parts. We learned how to live as if God was in control by taking on God's priorities. We saw Paul's example. He was gospel-centric, and everything in his life was wrapped around that central message of Jesus dying on a cross and rising again to be Lord and Savior of our lives. We ask ourselves, do we look at the outrageous national and world events swirling around us in terms of their effect on God's plan? Or do we ask ourselves, why is this happening to me as if God wasn't in control? The second thing we learned is that we can learn how to live as if God is in control by trusting him for the outcome. Paul wrote to his friends in Philippi that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. From this very important phrase, we learn that Paul understood God is in control in terms of outcomes. So what Paul was saying there is that whatever the outcome, God is, or Paul was rock solid about the fact that he would experience God's glory and goodness no matter what the events turned out to be in his life. And finally, we can learn how to live as if God is in control by receiving suffering as something that is sometimes granted by God to the community of faith. Let me say that again. Suffering is something that is sometimes granted by God to the community of faith. And that's very, very challenging to our 21st century mindset. Very, very challenging to our American thoughts and, and about the way things should be. But our ability to suffer together is a sign to us and to the world that God's kingdom is here and it is now. It is not just something into the future. It is something we're supposed to be um, living in right now. So this week we're going to turn to chapter 2 and discover that Jesus is our model for living during troubled times. His model is not only praiseworthy or, no or notable, but it is accessible to us. It's not something that just existed in the people of the past. It is something that he wants us to have right now. And Paul challenges us to live up to the example that Jesus sent. So we're going to be reading through the chapter today. So let's just look at a few verses to get us going this morning. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ any comfort from his love, if anything common in sharing the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves." Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Let's pray. Father God, I said a moment ago that Paul's letter to the Philippians is very challenging to both our American mindset and to the era and time that we live in right now. It's the time of the me generation where we focus on what is it going to do for me? What is it going to, to how is this going to benefit me? And I ask, Father, that you help us 
as Bible-believing, Christ-following Christians to put that me-generation idea to death. Let us live authentic lives before you as we study the, the words of those who came before and hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Lord Jesus, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now there are four points I want to make today of how we can live as Jesus did. Jesus lived as a servant while he was here on this earth. And the first one, or the first point I want to make is we don't look out for number one. We don't look out for number one. If you look at the first four verses of chapter two that we just read, we are instructed that in the midst of difficulties, we should not always look out for number one. And this certainly runs counter to the spirit of this age, doesn't it? It certainly runs counter to the way that we would naturally think. You see, it's very, very easy to be magnanimous, to be, to be out there and wanting to do things for people and everything is going well. But what happens when the sky falls? What happens when the sun gets hidden behind a cloud? What happens when it seems like all of hell has risen up against you? Can you still or, uh, show people Jesus? Paul laid his challenge in front of people who were experiencing persecution. And I want to highlight again a few of the verses that we just read. Paul said, do nothing, nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. The scripture tells us that we should not look after our own well-being, but we should look after the well-being of others. And we learn... We learn that from the Gospels, that when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't focused on his comfort. He wasn't focused on what was good for him. He was focused on his Father's will and what was good for you and me. It's often been said that nails did not hold him on that cross. Rope did not hold him on that cross. Nothing mankind created held Jesus on that cross. What held him on that cross was his love for you and me. Even before that terrible day on the cross, Jesus placed his focus on his Father's will, and he was constantly reconciling people to God. And that's our example. In fact, whether in times of persecution or times of safety and security, there is simply no other way to reflect Jesus Christ than laying down our own lives for others. So how would this attitude look in our everyday lives? We were routinely told that if we don't look out for ourselves, no one else will. That's the world's way of looking at something. But as Paul is introducing us to the example of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, we see a very different way, don't we? I saw this through a message and studying the life of a man named Paul I. Paul I was a man in Vietnam who was a witch doctor during the time of the war. And he would call down curses on American troops, and he would call down all kinds of evil spirits down upon American troops so they would die. 
And he came to know Christ through the witness of an American soldier who held Bible studies in the camp every night. Paul eventually rose to become the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in his country. But before that happened, Paul I spent decades, decades, in prison for his faith in Jesus. This is a Vietnamese prison. This isn't a, a three hots and a cotton cable TV. This is a shack out in the woods or some type of stone structure where they just throw you in there. You got some scrubs basically to wear and a four by four blanket and that was it. And Paul would use that four by four blanket every night because believe it or not, it gets really cold in the jungle at night. He would take that blanket and he would offer it to other people to help them to stay warm under the condition that he would have one hour to talk to him, to them. And you say, well, that's just kind of silly. I mean, how, how effective toward Jesus was that? 600 people came to know Christ through him giving up that little four-by-four four blanket in there. All because he was, being will, he was willing to be uncomfortable. All because he was willing to part with a thin piece of four-by-four four cloth. Let's look at the second point of how to live as a servant. And that is the great example of Jesus. In the next few verses, we hear about one of the great songs of the early church. In many of your Bibles, the next few verses will be written like a poem or like psalm lyrics because that's what it was. It was a worship tune. This was sung by the very first followers of Jesus, and it's a song filled with challenge and wisdom for us today. Paul states the challenge, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he uses their worship song as the illustration. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because Jesus did all this, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These six verses break down into three sentences. First, he made himself nothing. That is a deliberate choice you make in your own life. How you view yourself, how you view your wants, how you view your plans and dreams in life. Second, he humbled himself. He chose to follow somebody else's plan for his life. In this case, God the Father's. And third, then God exalted him. That's the same plan that God has for you and me. God cannot build on a foundation that is not firm. And that foundation cannot be firm while there is any self on that foundation. It's all about dying to oneself. This early hymn of the church shows us a step downward into humility, and it uses Jesus as our example. You would think when God came to earth, 
He would demand worship from everybody, right? He's God. He can demand worship. But no, when God came to earth, he made himself nothing. He became like an ordinary man. He humbled himself to living a life of service. Then he humbled himself even into death. And beyond humility, Jesus suffered the kind of death filled with shame. And this did not happen to Jesus accidentally. He was not a victim of circumstance. This was a path that Jesus chose to walk. <coughs> Biblical scholar Jordan Fee tells us that this passage is a complete picture of what God is like. Gordon Fee says, Here in Philippians, this ancient worship song does not leave Jesus in the grave. We see that God the Father exalted Jesus and raised him to life. Indeed, the Father raised him high above every other name. That's a song worth singing. But it's more than just a worship song. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is our example. Paul tells the church of, in Philippi to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And that's the challenge to us. I ask you, during times of trouble, during times of persecution, during the time when the, the whole world is being unjust to you, are you tempted to defend yourself? Well, how about when people misunderstand you at work or when people ridicule your beliefs in public or when your own family members do not understand your faith or when we tempt, face a temptation to argue and, and lash back and dispute? Do you have the mind of Christ? The Apostle Paul says we should have the same humility and heart and posture as Jesus our Lord. And no wonder, because his spirit, if you are a Christian, lives in you. This isn't just an isolated scripture. This message is repeated many other times in the word of God. Here is just one example. There are four other times the Bible says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's just the polar opposite of how our world functions, isn't it? The world would say to somebody like Paul, I keep your blanket. God wants you healthy. He wants you wealthy. You can't preach to other people if you have pneumonia. Jesus' example is think of others before yourself. Humble yourself before me and I will lift you up. Because then you can stand on a firm foundation. I'm reminded of the words of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the great German uh, pastor who existed during the time of Hitler. He said, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids them to come and die. Let me tell you something here. Exaltation or making you greater, that's God's work. You know, he doesn't need any help. The only thing you need to do is yield and say, yes, Lord. And that requires faith from us and trust that God will raise us up in his time and in his way. The third way to live as a servant is to work out our salvation. After leading the Philippines, or I'm sorry, the Philippians in this beautiful worship song, 
The Apostle Paul brings a practical word for them and how to do it. And he brings it to us today. In verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is one of those verses in the Bible that seems contradictory to the central gospel message. After all, we're saved by grace through faith, right? Yet the same apostle Paul who wrote that wrote, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What Paul is saying here is that, yes, you have been given salvation as a free gift. You can take it and you don't have to do anything to earn it. What he's saying is having, to, having received the gift, our only reasonable response is to work toward imitating the example of Jesus who won that gift for us. And that might take some work on our part. But the work itself does not save. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard said, Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning." Jesus won it for us, but it's for us to water, grow, and make beautiful under the, the example and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me illustrate this. If I walked in here and I gave you a sapling tree and gave it to you to plant in your yard, that is a gift. I'm not going to take it back. You didn't have to do anything to earn it. I am giving you a gift. However, this is a living thing, just like your faith. You're going to need to take it and plant it in your yard. That's going to require effort. You're going to have to, to till up the ground around it to make sure that the roots can, can spread out and grow. You're going to have to water it to, properly. You might have to trim it a little bit. You might have to be very careful not to run it over with a lawnmower when you're, you're mowing your lawn. You're going to have to tend this free gift that was given you. That's exactly what Paul is saying here in, the, in Philippians, is that you have to tend and work this gift. But you're not earning your salvation. And we don't want to be the kind of person who fails to respond to God's grace. It's true Jesus gave us a free pass to heaven through his death and resurrection on the cross. And he's been trying to make you fit for heaven ever since. But it requires us to yield to the Holy Spirit's influencing and pruning in our life. This sounds challenging, doesn't it? Even for people who aren't facing a lot of persecution. But the path of Christian maturity is the same in the good time and in the bad. Humble yourself before God, because he resists the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. The fourth point I want to make about living as a servant is to hold on and hold out. Continuing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the truth, or hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast 
on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. The Apostle Paul was quite the preacher because after singing the worship song, now he goes and preaches something very practical to them. He tells us to do everything without complaining or arguing. And this is true for both individuals and for the community of faith. To set aside complaining or arguing is a corporate discipline that is only possible when people realize the blessings of grace and salvation. We've been saved by grace. So what's there to argue and complain about? Except when the pastor forgets to mute his cell phone. <laughs> what would we look like to the unbelieving world if we were a community that could live together without complaining or arguing? What if there was no gossip or backbiting in the church? What if love was our language? That's when we're going to shine forth in this community like stars in the heavens. We would be seen as blameless and pure, even though we would be well aware that it was God who changed us. That's how you become thankful to God, when you realize that it's all Him. Every good thing comes down from the Father of lights. Every good thing in your life. Finally, the Apostle Paul tells us to hold on to the word of life. And it's a wonderful and it's a challenging command. But if we can hold on to the scriptural word of life given us to the Holy Spirit, we should also be able to hold out the words of life, offering them to our families, offering to our friends, offering them to our community. And this would be the demonstration of God's kingdom on earth. And finally, the second chapter of Philippians puts us in touch with the ancient worship of the early Christians to the very heart of what it meant in the early church to follow Jesus. When Paul wrote this letter of comfort to the brothers and sisters in Philippi, he pointed to Jesus as theirs and our example. The Lord's example does not require of us to go out and do miracles and supernatural signs and wonders. These things are wonderful. These things are certainly possible as God moves in our life. But they are not the requirements for following Jesus. Nor are they even the biggest proof of his power or presence in our life. The heart of our faith is to follow the humble servant example of Jesus. Especially, especially when life isn't going our way. And his example of humility and service is within our reach. In fact, I would say it is your very calling, your life focus, both as an individual and as a corporate body of believers. And this is how we show the servant heart of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. Amen? Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for your word because it challenges our thoughts and attitudes. We thank you, Lord, that your word, as much as it can cut sometimes, 
It is not a cut meant to, to hurt us. It is a surgeon cutting out cancer from within us and shaping us into a vessel that reflects you to this world. So as, as hard as some of the, sometimes the word of God is for us to hear, I would ask, Lord, that you give us a heart and ears to hear it because it is only for our own good. Just like the medicine we didn't want to take as a child, but our, our parents knew what was best for us, let your word be that medicine that creates within us the heart of Jesus. Because our desire is to make everyone hear the truth of the gospel and to see God's kingdom go forth in this community. Lord God, I ask, Father, that that just be our, our attitude, our hope, and our direction this week. I ask, Father, that you just continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling in every person here and that your will will be done in each one of our lives. Lord God, I ask your blessing to be upon your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.